I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice to have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand new tax strategy masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm speaking with my friend, Eric Van Horn, all about the power of franchises. Eric is the founder of The Franchise Tribe, a mastermind for franchise owners, as well as the host of the Franchise Secrets podcast, where he consistently brings real value into people's lives while generating very serious ROI. He's also a participant of Clubhouse, a platform where people can join virtual rooms, share stages, and listen in and participate in real conversations about life and business. During our discussion, we cover, one, the power and value of networks and how Eric's Mastermind Group helped countless franchise owners during COVID-19. 
Two, the ins and the outs of franchise deals, including the biggest mistakes to avoid and how to generate a seven to 15X multiple when you go to sell. And three, what to look for when bringing in team members and partners as a lifestyle investor. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Eric Van Horn. All right, Eric, it is great to have you on. Thanks for joining me today. Dude, it's good to be here, my friend. Well, it's always fun getting together. And, you know, I, when I just think about, you know, who do I want to spend time with on these podcasts? It's people that I want to hang out with anyway. So, you know, whether I'm doing a podcast or not, you're the person I want to have coffee with. Or, well, I mean, technically, I don't drink coffee. So you're the person I want to have a cold pressed juice with or a smoothie with or, you know, go have a meal with. And, uh, and so it's cool having you uh, here and, and being able to, you know, really just glean some valuable information from you. It's so good to have friends just like what you described. So, man, it's so it's so good to be here. I always enjoy, you know, I'm on your podcast, but I'm going to be, I guarantee I'm going to be learning something from you because every time I'm around you, I learn something. Well, thanks for the kind words. And I can easily pay that back to you. I always learn from you. I mean, my goal is to learn from everyone, but you're you're an easy wealth of, of knowledge to learn from because you're always giving and you're always sharing. And hence the reason I want you on the podcast you know, I want people to be able to, to listen in and, and just kind of hear some gold. I mean, I, I have really been able to take a lot from you. And, and I have shared this before with you and with others that, uh, I you know, I invest in a lot of businesses and I'm not an owner operator. I'm more of a capital partner. You know, I, I want to be able to jump in uh, when I feel like jumping in and most of the time not jump in. I want my capital to work for me to protect my time. But my operators need a really good place to go and a really good resource. And, and these business partners that are active on the day-to-day of the business they love what you do and they love what you've created. And, and, you know, so many of the people that I've tried to network into your sphere and circle of influence rave about you. So uh, I just think that's cool. I created that network, you know, we all have networks and there's so much power in our network. And I, you know, I, I really started to understand that the last five years. And then I've understood why people create masterminds as I was starting to create my own mastermind. It became really clear to me. And I've heard them, the, the masters at creating masterminds have talked about it before, but the value is in the network. They say they make way more money out of doing deals from the relationships that they have in the mastermind they created than just the mastermind itself. And I'm finding that to be true as I created a tribe of franchisees. And, um, you know, there's just, it, it's incredible to have a network. I always say you got to be in the right rooms and never be the smartest person in that room. And I definitely do that. Um, but yeah, your network is incredibly important. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I know you're a guy that loves to give value and give back. And I think that's great. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things to start any podcast with and really any conversation with. I, I model my podcast after my conversations that I just want to have with people. And one of my favorite things to ask people is, what's going on in your world? What's exciting? You know, we're in a brand new year. We're in 2021 right now. What's new and what's cool and what's fresh in your world, Eric Van Horn? It is without a doubt a new app called Clubhouse. And we're probably going to look back at this podcast and we'll be like, remember when we said there was this new app called Clubhouse? A year, two or three years from now, there'll be massive followings on that. 
Or it'll be like, what was Clubhouse? Oh, it was popular for a month. You know, I don't know. But here's the thing. There's this app called Clubhouse where it's audio only. You go into rooms and you share stages or you're in the audience with people and there's real conversations taking place. And it's kind of like what we did yesterday as a, you know, we did a fly on the wall type conversation. That's very much what Clubhouse is like. And I think that is somewhat of the future of some of the influencer stuff, some of the expert type people giving advice. When you are a fly on the wall, it's unscripted, it's Q&A, it's giving raw advice without you know video editing and all of this stuff. That's when you get to see who the smart people are and the value that is actually given. So I've been on that thing as just giving on that, Justin, going in there. And I just hosted a room with a friend of mine who'd built a, an online business and sold it. We were in there for 75 minutes, just helping people with their questions on selling their businesses or building a sellable business. But as I've done that and I've given, I've seen so many people give back to me and I've had incredible conversations with people already and people are reaching out. But the point of all that is it's a giving platform. And so what I'm hopeful for as we go into 21, what I want to do more of is help people. And so that's one of the things that's on my mind. Like, how can I help more people? Before we got on, somebody was struggling in their business and I know their business. And the comment was, I don't know what to do next. That's a struggling person. And so I'm just thinking, how can I help more people? And it's funny, the more people that you help, just out of a giving heart, the more people help you and add value in your life. And so that's one of the things that in 2021 that I'm looking for. That's cool. And you've built the perfect platform from, for that. I mean, obviously you specialize in franchises, you know, you, you've got uh, your, your Facebook group, but you have recently built a mastermind. We both kind of did this together at the same time, which is really fun. And uh, I remember we were both bouncing ideas back and forth, like, Hey, should we do this? Could we do this? Hey, what would it look like if we designed this? And so you know, now both of us have masterminds. We've been sharing contacts back and forth because we know the benefit that, you know, each uh, type of, of community brings. And so, you know, I'd love to hear you speak some on that because I have been thrilled with your community. And, and you know, it's it's been an honor to be a guest a couple of times uh, in your, you know, w- with your community, but I've learned a ton. I think it's incredible. And the people that uh, that you have. I mean, several of the people from your community have joined my mastermind and are some of my most active, hungry, giving, just community-minded people. And I know you're telling the truth on how active some of those community members are that we both share because I joined your mastermind and I get to see it real time. I'm like, that's so cool. And what's crazy is before COVID, I didn't know some of these people that are now in your mastermind and my mastermind. I didn't know them. So just the speed that relationships can happen is amazing. So I started this mastermind uh, called the Franchise Tribe. COVID hit businesses were in trouble. And I, you know, that's when we were all, we heard PPP for the first time, EIDL for the first time, and nobody knew what to do. We heard the word pivot was invented. And what I did is I had a following of franchisees just because I've been in the franchise game for 19 years with six brands in a bunch of different states and had exits along the way. But I had a community of franchisees that kind of followed me because I started a podcast on franchising called the Franchise Secrets Podcast. 
podcast. So what I did is I said, you know, whoever wants to join this Facebook group, if you're a franchisee, come on in. And I eventually opened it up to everybody in franchising. But for the longest time, it was just franchisees. And I would bring really smart people in there. Like Cameron Harrell came in, Bedros Koulian came in, Kevin Harrington, uh, you know, stopped by. So we gave value. And that's back, you know, that's where the whole value thing really started to happen. These people that are used to traveling around the world, speaking on stages, living that kind of life, were now at home. And at their core, they want to give value to people. So they did that through COVID and now they're doing it through this app called Clubhouse. So in, that's where this thing started. The genesis of it was to help struggling business owners or business owners that didn't know what to do. So then out of that group, I had about 700 people in that private Facebook group. And I said, does anybody want more from me? You know, I'll do two 90 minute calls uh, every month for you. And I had a 60 people raised their hand and I gave them the price and they said, we're in. And then out of that, when this is what I learned from you more, there was, there was a group of people and now there was 80 people in there that wanted more. And there's always somebody in your groups that want more than what you are giving. And, you know, I had to make a decision how to give them more. So I created the scale version of that mastermind, which is a $10,000 a year price point. And, and then I had a, a 20 people that joined that, but they wanted more. And you know, what's really cool about something like that, that puts the pressure on me. It puts the pressure on you to deliver that kind of value to them. And you and I have had these conversations when you have someone giving you X amount of money, I, like for me, I want to double that in value. I want them to have tangible ROI on it, but we all know at the end of the day, it's up to us how the individuals of what they get from an ROI on whatever it is. But like, I want to provide the opportunity for people to have massive ROI on the mastermind. So it's just been fun. One of the things that I remember out of all these different meetings that I've done with these franchisees, the one that you came on and we, you were talking about things that you watch for investments. You know, it's basically your book. I mean, you went in and gave a little bit of what was in your book and the the comments were how do and when when it ended, how do I get access to deals like that? And I know I have access to you and I have access to others like you. That's my deal flow. And it comes deal flow doesn't just happen overnight and you have to be connected and you have to be in that game for a while and you have to be doing deals to get deal flow too. Once I heard that, I'm like, these guys need more deal flow. And that's when you, know, you and I started working together more and providing value to my community through deal flow. And that's one of the reasons I joined your mastermind is for deal flow. Yeah, you know, deal flow is tough to come by. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, how do I find these deals? I want, you know, I call them invisible deals, right? I mean, these are deals that uh, most people don't know about. Maybe they are, you know, private deals. So, you know, there, there's no competition or very little competition. Uh, these are deals that you have to pay to play, or they're deals where you have to have the right relationship, or they're deals that typically only institutional money gets in. But because of having the right relationships, you can kind of swoop in, which I've done on a bunch of different you know, investment opportunities. And so, yeah, it, it's all about who you know, the community you're connected to, your peer group, you know, the, the advisors in your world. And when I say advisors, I mean, like, who, who are your 
who are the smartest people, you know, from a legal standpoint, from a tax standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from an investing standpoint, like who are these people? Um, because that matters, you know, but I want to back up real quick because Eric, you and I, um, we met, and, and by the way, we share a special bond because we're both dads and husbands. And, uh, you know, we met at a war room event that uh, our buddy Brad Weimert uh, recommended uh, both of us to come hang for. And, and so we got a chance to meet and uh, John Vroman uh, was there at that time. And so uh, we got you into Front Row Dads, which has been a huge passion of mine since day one. Uh, and, and so you and I have had a bunch of chance to hang. And when we first started talking, you know, it, it was an interesting thing because neither of us had our uh, masterminds or the people we're coaching. We've done coaching, you know, over our, our career, but you were in a place as I was where you were taking time off. You weren't sure what you were doing. You didn't have to work. Uh, you may have gotten bored. I got bored. You know, there's only so long you can not work for and you can travel the world for. And I think those things are important. And to be able to get that time and that space to, to think and figure out what it is that you want in life, to clear your schedule of all the things you have to respond to so you can proactively design your life and be intentional with where and how you spend your time. I think that is imperative. And most people don't do that. But you made a conscious choice to get back in the game, right? And you don't have to. You don't. You make enough money that you don't need to have a mastermind. And so I'm curious why you got back in it and, and what the draw is for you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think anyone that's getting ready to exit their company, because I had a good exit in, in one of the last companies that I own. Anytime you have a really good exit, there can be a big void on the other side. I had things that I wanted to do with my family and I wasn't in a hurry to do something next. So um, I had things to occupy my time, which was which was great. So I exited a company that took uh, nine months to, to, to exit, sold it to private equity. And then, you know, the bank account fills up. Um, I had passive income and, and some active income that was really, you know, not working hard for it that was coming in. So I had a bunch of time. I was living the four hour work week right? I was living the four hour work week and I didn't want to continue to work the four hour work week. And I'd done that before. And I knew that it got, it got old for me after a while, you know, my wife needed me to get out of the house at times. You know, like, don't you, aren't you going to go mountain biking? And I thought, wait a second. I thought I was being a good husband and a dad by being around all the time, but they needed space. And I needed something to occupy my mind. I wanted to build something again. And so I, one of the things was the mastermind, you know, I bought some other franchises and then I bought a, then I started the mastermind. So I was doing some, some, some franchises, some smaller franchises with operating partners. So I'm much like you, the financial partner and strategic partner. So I'm a bit more strategic, um, not more strategic, but I'm a bit more involved than you are on some of your deals, but pretty much just for money and strategy. And then some of those started to do bad through COVID. They weren't in a great COVID type industry. And that's where the mastermind was born. I, again, it was that was truly born to help people. And then if you want to continue to help people, you need to, um, the, the people that execute on the advice and the help that you give them are typically the people that are paying money for it. And that's what I've seen. I saw it in myself. If I get free advice from somebody, I usually don't execute like I do when I'm paying 20 or 30 or $50,000 for a particular type of advice or to be in a group. So I've seen that with myself. And then I saw it real life in front of me with the mastermind group out of 800 people, 80 joined the mastermind. And then out of those 80, 20 joined the higher level mastermind. And you 
can just see it all along the way. And those 20 people that are in the high level mastermind, they are all action takers. So I've enjoyed being around that group. But then that's just a kind of a side project. I started Mighty Dog Roofing. It's a franchise. And then I started that as a franchisor because I, here's the deal. I wanted to have impact bigger than uh, just a single location of a franchise. So I'm really good at marketing, really good at business strategy. And if I'm doing that inside a single location, I'm impacting that location. But I've, I've impacted a lot more than that in my franchising career. So I wanted to do that as a franchisor. So how I can do that as a franchisor, take my uh, skill set, and now every franchisee is going to be impacted by that. We'll have 40 new franchisees in 2021 for Mighty Dog, and they're all going to be influenced by my marketing strategy and business strategy and business building strategy that I just don't have to keep to myself anymore. So the answer to the question is I wanted to have a bigger impact in business. And then I also chose partners wisely for me. I didn't need a title. I didn't need the to be the only guy. I didn't need to be the main guy or the head guy. So there was four of us partners in this, three main partners, um, and we each have a role in the company. One's basically the CEO, one's a COO, and then I'm the CMO. And, and we're equal partners. We go and acquire brands that are like a single or two or three unit location of something, typically in the home services space, and they want to grow and scale. They want to franchise it, but they don't have the know-how, and they want somebody with a track record like we have. My partner, one of my main partners, He's built two successful franchises, one from scratch and one by acquisition. So our strategy is to acquire a number of home service brands over the next five years and build them, scale them through the franchise model, because that's what we're good at. Yeah. And you know, you have had, it, it's interesting, like I hear all this, I know your your partners too. You've got really sharp, really smart partners. I even remember a deal that you brought to me where you're like, all right, let, let's just dissect this thing. Let's start from zero. And you know, what, what would make this attractive? What would make this attractive on the investor side or on the invest, you know, on the you know, on both sides of the of the coin, basically, you know, and, and that was really fun. It was a good exercise to say, well, hey, if I were to invest in this, here's what I'd want. But then at the same time, if I was the owner of it, here are the terms that I'd want. And so it's figuring out a happy medium between the two of those things so that everyone wins. No one wins when someone has too much advantage. It's, it's about finding, you know, a happy medium that everyone can feel good about. Maybe you don't get everything you want, but you get terms that are good enough that, that you feel good about. And the goal here, is you want the terms to be so good that repeat business happens, right? That that's that's huge, and especially in your industry. Yeah, I mean, well, like you said, they they can't be if it's about winning, and you are acquiring something, or you're investing everything, or you are whatever it is. If it's about you winning and you getting everything that you want, that's probably not a fair deal to everybody. You know, franchises are lopsided, right? The agreements for the franchisor. And it's a lot of power that the franchisor holds. And the agreements are weighted towards the franchisor so the franchise so they can take out and remove bad franchisees. So some people think, well that's too heavy-sided to the franchisor. Well a good franchisor is going to protect the you as a good franchisee if your neighbor is going rogue. So, you know, they're they're everything's going to be weighted at some point to somebody and franchise is to the franchisor, but it's really for the franchisee's benefit if it's a really good franchisor, meaning the franchisor wants happy, successful 
franchisees. If that's their goal, then you want them to have that power. But if it's not, then you don't want, you just shouldn't even be in that particular franchise. But I remember looking at that deal with you kind of analyzing it. And I was looking at another deal being on the, uh, the side where I was investing money. And then I was looking at this deal thinking, what if we are attracting investors? And we even had some phone calls to attract investors. And it really made me, when I sat in that seat on both sides of the coin, looking at both sides, I really got to understand things uh, from both sides and why brands would do different things. And that's, and you know, we talked about it the other day, just privately, but that's why I understood the peer one deal, why they would pay such high interest because they're playing a different game. Like the game's different that they're playing and the game was different than we were playing in this particular franchise that we were looking at acquiring. It wasn't just to get some money. It was a different game. And understanding that just really opened my eyes up to so many things. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know what, you know, what I think about like, uh, why would someone pay such a high interest rate on your money? I mean, it almost sounds too good to be true, but you'll see this in the cannabis, hemp, CBD space. You'll see this in a lot of the, um, let, let's call it uh, SaaS startup tech world. And it doesn't just have to be SaaS, but you know, in, in startup technology, you'll see this in marketplaces. You know, marketplaces are selling with some of the, the highest multiples and not on EBITDA, but on uh, ARR and MRR, right? monthly recurring revenue and uh, annual recurring revenue. And so when you look at it and you see the massive growth that these industries are having and, and the same things happening with, with retail brick and mortar that's being scaled online as opposed to you know keeping the brick and mortar portion of that business, the faulty portion of it as a mainstay, it's kind of getting rid of that. But these are industries that are taking off. They're prime for disrupting whatever markets or industries they're in. And they would rather pay a high interest rate because they don't want to give up the equity. Uh, and so that's it, you know, and so they realize they're going to make more money than, you know, paying out 20% or 15% or 25%, which sounds crazy, you know, in the, you know, in the cannabis and, and hemp and CBD space, there are very few lenders that exist. I mean, banks can't lend in that space. So you have private groups and uh, private, you know, the funds that are able to do this, that, can charge an exorbitant amount of interest, but the companies are happy to pay it because they know they're making more. They know they're still making their profit. They're not leaving the equity uh, on the table, you know, for the investors because they know how big it's going to be. Or, you know, some of the things I love to negotiate where it's like, all right, let's do a debt deal, but let's do an equity kicker. And that's one of my favorites. So it's like, all right, I'll give you what you want and we'll do a high interest rate, but I'd like a piece of equity or I'd like some warrants to your company because I want to participate on the upside. You know, it doesn't have to be dollar for dollar, uh, but give me a piece. When you first told me about that, I thought you're crazy. What are you talking about? Like you are crazy. And then like, I've seen it and I participated in it. And I, un and not, not only that, but I understand it now. And, and I think that was probably the biggest aha for me is starting to understand it. And like on the franchise side, you know, we, you know, there's, there's been multiple times that I've had the opportunity to acquire a brand strategically. And I think that's one of the key things. It's a strategic acquisition because they could come into my world where I can help out. It's worth more in my world than it is in their world. It's worth more in my world, like Pier One, worth more in the world that it is in today because of Ty and Alex and what they have and what they're building. It's worth more to them 
because of the ecosystem that it comes into and their expertise. So it's more valuable because of those guys than it is to another brick and mortar store trying to do something stupid to a brand. You know, so there's strategy involved. And, and that's one of the things that I started to understand is why it's a good acquisition for a particular buyer. And then when it comes into that uh, particular, you know, buyer, what they can do with it and how they can add value so quickly. And, and that's one of the reasons why these companies can pay out high interest. And so, you know, I see it now on that side as somebody that's investing, but as a guy that was looking at a couple different franchise companies to acquire, knowing franchisors, they sell from a multiple of 7X EBITDA to 15X EBITDA normally. Like that's a normal multiple, 7X to 15X. And then some of them are over 20X, depending on the space. Like you were talking about just the spaces in general, how cannabis is higher and, and software and monthly reoccurring is higher. In franchising, there's certain industries, there's certain sectors that go from a 15X multiple on an exit to a 20 or 25X. And, and you just have to know what you're getting into. But if you are connected with somebody like you who knows what's going on with a particular investment, you know why it's worth that and why someone would pay 15 to 20% interest and get you your money back in a short period of time and be able to keep equity. Because we were going to do that with a particular franchise that we we're going to, to buy because we knew it was worth X once we acquired it. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a transaction right now that could be pretty massive. And again, it's another debt play with an equity kicker. And the opportunity on the equity side is, is pretty nice. There, there is a very generous offer on the table for the equity kicker that's greater than any equity kicker I've ever gotten. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Now let's back up here for a quick second, because you had said that there are certain industries or sectors or spaces in the franchise space where you're going to increase in multiple. And obviously the more studios or locations or, you know, uh, business is that you have as a franchisee or as a franchisor, the, the more that you can sell it for, right? So your multiple is going to increase if you go from one to two locations or to five, you know, obviously the more the merrier. But what are some other ways that you're getting from that 7x to a 15x on EBITDA? And like you said, this these niche franchise markets where you could even go to a 20x or higher, you like that. You oh, I now- love it. I love it. <laughs> so you're right. When we had 12 locations in the salon suite business as a franchisee, and we were not working in the business at all because we had someone managing the business for us, and we were literally just doing a weekly meeting with them, we got a higher multiple because of that, right? So you have to get to scale. Whatever scale looks like in your business or your niche, you need to get to that scale to get the highest multiple. So that would always be my goal. Whenever I'm a franchisee, I'm you know whatever it is, I'm like, what is that point where I can can remove myself from the business and to get the maximum multiple when I do go to sell it. So my goal is to get there as fast as I can to make the business sellable. Now I may or may not sell it at that point, but now to your question on the franchise or side of things, franchisors want a lot of franchisees. The more franchisees you have, the more monthly reoccurring revenue that you have because you as a franchisor are getting royalties from all of that. Now as a franchisor, you should be providing more more value than you're getting paid in royalties, but that is your income. So if you can provide more value to the franchisee and be making money, that's a win. There's other things that you can do as a franchisor. You have buying power. 
You know, so if you are in the garage door business and you have relationships with the biggest manufacturers and you can guarantee, uh, actually guarantee that you are going to provide or, you know, buy X amount of garage doors from different manufacturers, well, they're going to give you a better deal than, than anybody else. So you get rebates on that typically. And you don't want to, now this is where franchisors go wrong they don't pass on some of those rebates to the franchisee. So I think it's always wrong if a franchisor, if it's more expensive for a franchisee to be in the garage door business because of the franchisor, that's wrong. It sh- they should be getting a discount, a bigger discount than they would be getting uh, normally as a mom and pop business. So that's one way that franchisors make money besides just growing with royalties. Because if you're growing with, here's the thing, if you're growing with just growing with just royalties as a franchisor, it's really hard to make it. So you need to have other revenue streams. And the way that I like to look at it as a franchisor, if I can have other revenue streams that provide value ROI to the franchisee, then it's a win-win for everybody. Not everybody, you know, will understand it like, like that, but that's the, that is the best thing a franchisor can do. So now you're a franchisor, Justin, you have multiple revenue streams coming in. You, you, you know, if you used to manufacture, buy from a manufacturer, maybe you are the manufacturer or you were, you know, you're, you're doing things at scale for the franchisee. So they don't have to do it themselves. You have a call center. You are the call center. You don't outsource it. There's so many different ways to do that. But now the franchisees are happy because they're making more money. They're having a better service because you're helping them. You're making money as the franchisor. You have a uh, the opportunity to have a higher multiple. Reason is because you have multiple revenue streams. It's not just tied to opening up more locations. You know, that's not the only growth mechanism. That's not the only growth lever. So I think multiple revenue streams as a franchisor gives you just the, the buyer safety. Here's the other thing with that. I know a franchisor that sold to a private equity company and they made more money on providing direct mail to their franchisees than they did on royalties. And they, they gave the franchisees a better deal on direct mail than going to Valpac themselves or whatever the direct mail vendor is. But they became a direct mail company and a franchisor. The company that bought them knew that and that's one of the reasons they bought that. Now, what they did is they went and bought other franchises that used direct mail as their main source, but the franchisor was outsourcing that to different people. So they were able to buy a franchisor at a lesser multiple, bring it into their ecosystem, and then their franchisees started using the new direct mail vendor, which is theirs, getting a better deal. And now the franchisor just immediately increased revenue. So that company, if, if it's going into a company that is excited about direct mail and has a direct mail company, they're going to pay a higher multiple than the one that doesn't. So that's an example of you know something that you just wouldn't think about. But here's one last thing. People that are buying franchisors, typically, let's say it's the home services space. If they already have a painting company in there, then they're not going to acquire another painting company. So if there's a bunch of painting companies out there, that's probably not going to be the one that has the highest 
multiple. Let's say they have nine franchisors in their portfolio and they want to add one more. That needs to be kind of a niche, a niche franchise. So there's a number of them. That's one of the reasons we're in the roofing franchise because it we're going to be the one of the biggest roofing franchisors out there and there's not many of us. And so it's going to be more attractive when the time does come to sell, if we sell it or when we sell it. Everything's for sale strategically, but that's not our goal is to sell, but that's why we chose the roofing industry. And there's multiple other industries that we have our eye on that are more niche, not the the main and plain industries out there. That's awesome. And you're doing like the, the strategy here is what the Rockefellers did and the Carnegie's did, you know, they would buy up businesses uh, they would combine them. They would have this business over here that did, you know, the direct mail, for example. You know, they didn't buy a direct mail company, but then they can scoop up all these other companies that don't have anything to do with their original business, but use direct mail. And then they can cut out all those expenses and they can even cut out those divisions and repurpose them. You know, and so in some cases, maybe you're you're cutting out, uh, you know, employment, but in other cases, you're repurposing that employment. And I just think that that is tremendous when you can have such a big picture vision of what you, your brand, your business, your, you know, let's call it a holding company, what you're about, that you're bigger than just that single business that you can expand into a bunch of different avenues. And so it makes sense why you're able to sell at a higher multiple, like, like you talked about, different revenue streams for sure is going to do that. And you made a really important point, And that is to not pass on the added expenses that part of the perk is the is the franchisee relationship to the franchisor is that you can piggyback on their pricing. And so like, I, I think it's something real simple, like my mastermind, you know, I've got a bunch of deals that come through and I negotiate unbelievable terms for the group but I don't negotiate extra good terms for me. My terms are the same as everyone else. I'm paying forward to them the same thing that I'm getting so that everyone gets a great deal. And by the way, because of that, there's alignment. I'm not misaligned. Uh, And I think that that's so important because when your people, and I've been in businesses like this, I've bought businesses like this, when your people feel like you are not in alignment with them and you're trying to nickel and dime them, it creates a horrible chemistry and culture. And that is a bad foundational problem for building a company, scaling a company, you know, that trust is, is so important. And to have good relationships with everyone possible, but especially your key people, your key hires, the people that are, you know, your boots on the ground running the operations, that is imperative, you know, to really be walking arm in arm. Culture is so important. And I think, you know, is as an owner, I'm I just I just hired my director of marketing at Mighty Dog. And as much as look, I was looking at her great skill set, a marketing background, social marketing, a digital, uh, and then just boots on the ground, gorilla or neighborhood or whatever you want to call it. She and then roofing experience, but that was all great. But you can find that. I wanted to make sure she was going to be able to work with me. I wanted to make sure that we were going to fit well together. And I wanted to make sure that she was going to be the right cultural fit for the organization because that trumps just, you know, the resume, the things that you see in the resume. And it was really quick for me to understand if uh, if she was that person. But I went through a whole process. I, you know, I want to get better at hiring, but um, but that was important. I want the right cultural fit, the right person that can work with me. You know, we, we're all different. I'm, you know, I'm not a micromanager type person. So if 
somebody wants to be micromanaged, they're not get, we're not going to fit very well. That's not going to be the right, the right fit as for me as a boss, but she's not that. And I couldn't have that. And so we we're very upfront with that, but culture is so important. Even for us, as we bring on franchisees, the biggest mistake or young franchisors have, and this is one of the things that we try to help people avoid. Cause we, I talk to a lot of people that want to franchise their business or they are a young franchise and it's not as easy or going as well as they thought. The biggest mistake that people make franchising a business is their first 10 franchisees. They're taking people, maybe even just one person with a, with a pulse versus the right cultural fit or the right work ethic or whatever. They just have the ability to write a check and they have a pulse and they may not be the right fit for the particular franchise. So right culture is so important on your team. And as a franchisor building franchisees and as you build a mastermind, I was talking to Perry Belcher, who's uh, um, founded War Room Mastermind. And I was talking to him in Austin the last time I saw you. And I said, Perry, what's the best way to build the higher ticket, higher level, more expensive mastermind? He's like, Eric, those first 10 people are incredibly important. So it's like that with everything. As you're building out your team, it's got to be the right team from the beginning. If you're building out a franchise or a mastermind, it, you've those the first uh, tier of people are critical. He's like, Perry told me, he's like, if you start your mastermind, you have one bad apple in there, it will ruin the whole bunch. And you may as well start over in three years because it just ruins it. And I took that to heart. I know that you took that to heart, you know, and then as, as a franchisor, we're taking that to heart. But the problem is it's the harder thing to do when someone's getting ready to give you money and you need the money. It's, it's, it's really tempting to take it. And I think that's one of the things, as I said that I realize I don't need the money. You don't need the money in the mastermind. We don't need a franchisee. So just a quick takeaway for anybody that is in building mode that does need the money. Don't pull the trigger too quickly and letting the wrong people into your world. So true. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, you and I've had plenty of experience with this. But to me, my livelihood is based on, in many cases, I mean, I have uh, ownership in a lot of different companies. So the success of that company is dependent on those operators. And so I have my own list of qualities that I look for in operating partners that is imperative to me. I mean, work ethic is top of the list. I need someone that is going to bust their tail and grind and do whatever it takes that they have that hunger and that desire. I, I need someone that takes initiative. So it's like what you said, I, I don't want a uh, someone that needs to be micromanaged. I want someone that's going to take action on their own. It's like, hey, I wasn't sure if I should reach out to you. So here are all the things that I tried. What do you think of this? I'd rather people take shots and, and try. And if they miss, we'll address it. I, I'd rather someone take the initiative and take action. And if they make a mistake, great, at least you went for it. You know, another thing I look for is loyalty. People are going to be loyal to me, loyal to the team, obviously loyal to me first. And, and, and that's important. I need to know everything that's going on in the organization that could be detrimental. Um, so that that's, you know, paramount. Yeah. One of the couple, just to piggyback off of that, because that's the, the, great to give the audience just a little bit of the list of things that we look for. One of the things I look for in partners are, are partners that are just, they, they put the business ahead of their personal agenda. You know, because it's so the business is an entity in and of itself. And if you start putting your personal needs above the part, the, the partnership or the business, I want, I don't want that. I, and I don't, and I wouldn't do that myself. So I want partners that understand we're going to put the business first because that's the thing that that living entity is what we're taking care of. And we make decisions together, but my personal situation is not going to impact that. The other thing that I look for in, in, in my team 
is, and partners, people that aren't afraid of mistakes. I don't want, I want them to be okay making a mistake. And I was just telling my director of marketing that the other day, I said, you are going to make mistakes. My goal is to help you not make critical mistakes or mistakes that have an impact more than what they should. But if you're making micro mistakes along the way, that's okay with me because that's how you're always learning. And so I want to have this culture of it's okay to make mistakes. I will make mistakes because if we're not making mistakes, we're not pushing you know, hard enough. We're not doing things aggressive enough. We are just not moving forward or executing fast enough. So mistakes will be made, but I just want them to be the micro mistakes. And that's what I'm looking at. I told her, I said, I'm just going to be looking out for you to help you avoid making the mistakes because she's in the minutia of it. She's dealing with things all the time. She's going to be seeing things that I don't see, but I'm going to be looking at things from a different perspective, just, you know, not, not a, you know, a higher level on some ways, but just from a different vantage point. And I have a different experience than she has. So I'm going to be able to see things that she doesn't, but if she's afraid of making the mistakes, uh, you know, I don't want somebody like that on my team. And the other thing, the last thing I'll say with that is I want people on my team that are solution focused. Don't come to me with a problem. Too many people just come with a problem. I do that with my girls. Like I want a solution. Don't come up, tell me the problem because anybody can come up and tell you the problem. If you tell me the solution, one, you've thought about it. Two, you're okay being wrong. And, and then three, you're open to learning. And that's what I like. So you state the problem, you tell me your solution, and then I'm going to just give you a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or let's talk about it and let's look at some different things. But that's a mentoring opportunity as well. Also, it's an opportunity to just discuss it and we both might be wrong. And that's the other thing I tell them, like, I don't have to be right on stuff. Like I'm wrong half the time, but I will make a decision. I will solicit advice from other people and then make a decision when the decision needs to be made. So those are some other tidbits. I love it. It's so good. And, you know, it reminds me of one of like my bedrock foundational qualities I look for is that uh, they care about the success of the team and the organization just as much as you, if not more than you. And, and part of what I'm looking for is what you said right out of the gates. You have to enjoy working with them and others have to enjoy working with them, that their leadership skills are, are at a point that uh, people want to follow them. And, you know, even to the point where I want that, where I feel like they could lead and take the reins. And so I think you just shared some great, great wisdom there. And I, I really appreciate it. It's awesome. So awesome. So, you know, you and I have talked a lot about lifestyle investing and what you do is lifestyle investing, you know, and, and you have uh, a number of different income streams and it, some of them are related to, you know, businesses that you've bought. Some of them have been, you know, maybe you, you were a franchisee of a number of locations. Uh, you moved into franchisor. Uh, you have, uh, you know, other businesses and other opportunities. So to, to you, what is lifestyle investing? Because it's a, a term that I coined, but you and I, we, we riff back and forth on this all the time. I tried to get the trademark for that, but it was already taken. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love like when you told me, you know, the first time I heard you talk about lifestyle investing, it just resonated with me so much. And it was just such a clear picture of, of, you know, how I want my life, how I was living my life. And I want to continue and protect my life to have that type of lifestyle. One of the things, it doesn't mean having the most money. I don't have to be the richest guy in town. I don't have to be the richest guy out of my friends. I don't have to have the most income or the most money or the most wealth. So I go back to playing the game cash flow. 
with, uh, you know, that Robert Kiyosaki invented and put together. And it's like the doctor had the hardest time winning that game, but the person that, you know, was, had the lower, lower income, they were many times the easiest one to get out of the rat race. So in simple terms, to me, lifestyle investing is getting out of the rat race, building my company. So I don't, so I'm not the key person in that company. That's number one. Number two, take the money from these companies. Don't just buy stuff, but buy things that I will enjoy as a family with my lifestyle and then invest in things so I can continue to enjoy things. So delayed gratification. So making money, delay the gratification. I learned that early on from a mentor that said, when you have a significant bump in your income one year, you go from, for me, it was $30,000 a year to $100,000 a year. That was a big bump to me back then. And I remember him, what he said, and I didn't change my lifestyle at all. I didn't have much of a lifestyle that, you know, but but that's a significant jump, right? So I didn't change my lifestyle and I still uh, do that to this day. So to me, at the end of the day, I want to spend my money, invest in opportunities like you are always presenting me. And then also like we have a, a boat cost six figures for this boat. We've, we just got a new one. We had one for the last three years and just got a new one. I'm out on the lake with my kids, no cell phone. I, I'm tempted to get on the cell phone sometimes. Is there service? And usually there's not, but like that is lifestyle. I invest into this depreciating liability that gives me such incredible time with my family that they will never forget. So that's one thing, but you know, at the end of the day, Justin, it's controlling my calendar. If I have passive income coming in and it's more than my way more than my expenses. So I don't have to worry about it, not just covering my expenses, but way more than my expenses, then I can fully control my calendar. So at the end of the day, if I have that money coming in that I'm not working for, and I have full control over my calendar, I look at it. And if I want to take a vacation next week or in two weeks or in three weeks, or if I want to take a two-week vacation versus a 10-day vacation or a seven-day vacation, I can do it without even thinking. That's what it is to me. And that's one of the things that I've realized a lot of people don't have control over their calendar like that. And that's important to me is um, I've had it for so long. I don't know what it's like to not have control like that. That is music to my ears. And I love hearing you talk about that, Eric, because that's it. It's freedom of time. You know, we talk about wealth. I, I talk about this all the time, that wealth is it spans far beyond money. The most important component of wealth is that you own your time. And you can spend it how you want to spend it. And so I want to make a, an important point because some of our listeners, they might be really hands-on in their business. They might be new, you know, maybe having just started a business and maybe they're just getting their you know, feet wet in a new franchise even. And so I think that there's a time and a place to work hard and to be in the business before you learn to transition yourself out of the business. But I also think it's smart to, to heed the advice that Eric shared where, he wants to make more money than it costs him to live and not just to buy stuff, but to then reinvest that into other things. And so what you can do is you can upgrade your life. So at a period of time, you might trade time, your most precious resource for money. But if you are diligent enough to you know, save and invest, you can eventually get to a point where you're buying assets that produce enough income that your time doesn't have to produce income. It can, but it doesn't have to. And that's where the magic happens. And anyone that's ever experienced that knows what I'm talking about. It's this true, most liberating feeling that you're ever going to experience until 
you experience helping someone else to do it, which is an even greater uh, feeling. Because I tell people all the time, they're like, you know, oh, what, what does it feel like to have financial freedom? And I say, I worked so hard at it. And when I achieved it, it felt so good. And then the next day I was like, okay, I'm there. What's next? You know, because it's just a destination on the journey. You know, it's like, you're just partway there and there's so much more in life. And it's not just about that. And it's really fun when money and investing can become a game and not survival. Yep. And then where I see people, friends of mine, people that I know, people that are acquaintances, they're doing some really cool things. And it's so easy if you, even if you, you get it, they get addicted to the income. And all of a sudden they sell their business or they are just scaling their business. They just, they want a little bit more and a little bit more. And how many millions is enough? How many is, whether it's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions, it doesn't matter. If it's never enough for you, it's never going to be enough when you reach the point where you have hundreds of millions. Or, you know, so I know people that have gone through that and they were in the multiple hundreds of millions of dollars and they kept going and going and going and then they regretted it. So I never wanted to do that. And it really came, uh, my dad really taught me this lesson when I was in high school, middle school or high school, I think I was in middle school. And he came out and he had a construction company and he started to come home early from, uh, from the construction company. He let the crews go do their thing, which means things would break, things would happen, people would take breaks, you know, nothing good happened when the boss leaves the construction site, but he would leave that to come home and spend time with me when I got home. We would play basketball, we'd play volleyball, we would do all those kinds of things. And it was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized it even as I was a kid in high school that my dad made a conscious choice to show up when I got home from school and that meant less money for the family. So I knew that he did that back then. So I'm like, you know, and I've had a lot of success from a, from a, a monetary standpoint, but that's always stayed with me. So as, so at some point it was never being driven about the money and it really hit home to me that it was true when I, so I was really excited when I made my first six figure years, but it was even better when I gave away my first six figures one year. And that was the tipping point for me. So I'm like, if I could be at the point where I can give away six figures a year, that's where I, you know, for me, that's where I arrived. I don't have to strive anymore. Oh, I love that. That is so amazing and poetic. And I mean, really what you're speaking about here is it's what my book's about. It's about buying your time, buying freedom, you know, and it being your most valuable resource. How do you buy that back? So the life, lifestyle investor is literally that, you know, how, how can you buy your time back and live life on your terms? And I'm really excited because all the, the proceeds from the book are all going to go to charities that impact people's um, freedom. And, and we're talking basic uh, bare needs freedoms. Just, you know, a lot of people, uh, their freedoms are stripped away because of human trafficking. And so uh, I want a lot of those funds to go to organizations like that and organizations that help support kids and give them a better shot uh, at life. So uh, I just think it's awesome. Thanks so much, Eric, for your time. This has been tremendous. Um, can you share with us where our listeners can learn more about you? 
Two places. One, if you're just interested in franchising in any way, you're thinking about franchising your business, you're thinking about becoming a franchisee, or you're just interested in franchising in whatever aspect, go to FranchiseSecrets.com, FranchiseSecrets.com. On there, you'll see my podcast. I've had some really cool guests on, like Justin Donald. And then um, on there, uh, at the bottom, you'll see where you can join my free Facebook group. That's probably the best place to go. It's a really great active community that's helpful to any business business owner, you're welcome. You don't have to be in franchising. Uh, You'll find value out of it. So come check it out. That's awesome. Thanks for being a resource, for sharing, for joining us. Uh, This has just been an amazing podcast. I'm sitting here taking notes, learning some great things as well. So, you know, you are a wealth of knowledge and I appreciate it. And to our listeners, you guys uh, and gals, take some form of action today towards financial freedom and really building the life that you truly desire and on your terms. So thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.